Good morning, Lakeside. Good morning. We haven't met before. My name is Steve Collard. I'm one of the on the pastor elder team here at Lakeside, and uh, very glad to meet you. Back in 1976, I was 14 years old, and I started my first job. My mom worked at a laundry, and the owner asked if I would uh, be interested in a summer job helping him refurbish some equipment in the laundry and up on the roof. Sounds like a fun summer job, doesn't it? And for that, I would be paid $1.50 an hour. And uh, I remember I'd get my paycheck, $30, and uh, I remember the first time riding home on my bike and stopping and getting a 10-cent can of Fago Pop. That was my, my reward. And then I I bought a pair of shoes because if you look at the picture of me when I was 14 years old, it, it may be up on the screen, I don't know, not yet, um, there it is. So there's a laundry like the one I worked in and I was that kid in the white shoes, you know it's the 1970s. <laughs> and uh, I remember I spent my first paycheck on a new pair of shoes, so uh, there's something about your first job. You know, that feeling the first day you go to work and you feel productive. You feel like you've kind of joined society or something. Um, even in a crummy job like that, the feeling of productivity, of, of earning some money, it, uh, it's something you remember. I was wondering, how about you? Any, uh, any first job titles out there you want to share with us? Paper boy. Paper boy. That was, what are those? No. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Outdoor John? Was that your name, John? Outdoor John? That sounds worse than a laundry to me. Okay. Anything else? Dishwasher, yeah. Uh, that's one I hit along the road. I had a lot of jobs. Uh, thank you for those. And you think about it, the first day is something you, always, you do always remember. And, um, you know, we all started somewhere. That's the thing. So today we're talking about Jesus beginning his work, King Jesus, the work begins. Now Jesus, being God, never had a beginning. He was always in existence. But his personal work on earth did, did start at a certain point in time, and so that's what we're going to study today. Now technically, what we're studying in Matthew chapter 4 is the beginning of his work in Galilee. Hey, when we study all the gospel accounts together, we're just going through the book of Matthew, but when you study them all together, where we left off last week with this, the temptation of Jesus, there's a period of time there, many months, where he was uh, ministering in Galilee. But Matthew, in chapter 4, there's kind of a gap there. He goes straight to where we're going to pick up today. Um, so to say it's his first day might not be exactly right, but it was at the beginning of his work and what Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel shares with us. Um, we understand from John's gospel, chapter 3, there was a time when John the Baptist, who we were familiar with uh, from our study, um, he was ministering on one side of the Jordan River and Jesus was ministering on the other side, and more people started to follow Jesus and the disciples of John went to him and asked him about that. And we get this famous statement, John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist said to his followers, speaking of Jesus, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. He's the one. He's the king. And so the size and the scope of Jesus' work was increasing. 
And so Matthew starts the story there. So we're going to go back to our study, chapter 4, and uh, verse 12. And it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so the first main point of our, our passage today is that Jesus is the light of the world. Matthew looked at this move that Jesus had made. And you can see on this map that uh, hopefully you can see, I know it's kind of small, but this is Galilee at the time of Jesus. And you can see kind of lower in the map when he was in Judea and he was around Jerusalem. He was, and you can see Bethlehem on there. And then he moved further up past Samaria to um, Nazareth. And now what it's saying is he's moved to Capernaum right on the Sea of Galilee, and you can kind of see an arrow pointing there. And Matthew said, of course. Of course he did. This is a fulfillment of what Isaiah said several hundred years ago, specifically of this place. And so that verse 15 we read is actually a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. So I'm going to read that. It says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them has light shone. And so the main emphasis now that we see in this first section is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the King. And, and we've been going through this for weeks, and Matthew offered proof after proof after proof. This is the Messiah. And now in chapter 4, another proof, a fulfillment of Isaiah, that Jesus is the King. He's the light of the world. And this is very important for us because he's bringing the entire world, not just Israel, into this picture. The people who walked in darkness. He speaks not just of Israel, but of the nations, the Gentiles. Jesus' work is about people. It's about all people. Jews, Gentiles, the whole world. And so, over again in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke to them, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus came to bring light. Did you ever walk in darkness? Walking in the dark is no fun. I remember an incident that I had where I was walking into a relative's cabin. My wife's from Montreal, and this is a cabin outside Montreal. And I walked in, the cabin was completely dark. And I didn't know that our relatives weren't home. We had just arrived from a long trip. And so I walked in, and I'm going, hello, hello, is anybody home? And all of a sudden, I started to fall. 
because not only were they not home, they had left a trap door open in the floor, and they were airing out the crawl space under the cabin. And so uh, I started falling, and it was in the dark, and I couldn't feel, my mind was trying to process, what is going on? I'm and I didn't fall far, six feet, so it didn't last long, but <laughs> I, hit, I hit so hard that I was wearing a, a, a metal watch band. It, it broke right in two when I hit. And um, I was really very fortunate because I didn't fall on the part where the stairs were and there was like a water pump down there and I didn't hit my head and all those things. I was fortunate, but I, I was still in the dark and I fell and I was like, what's going on? And uh, I was a little embarrassed and uh, feeling pain and I thought I broke my wrist. And so when I came home, I went and saw my physician and he laughed at me. <laughs> He laughed out loud. He, he thought it was so funny. And I said, no, no, it wasn't funny. Darkness that we're talking about, the darkness of humankind, it's deep. It said that in the verse, deep darkness. It's caused by our sin. It's, it's selfishness. It's hate. It's hurting one another. It's the darkness of suffering and death. It's the cause of the alcoholic parent, the abusive spouse, the broken family. It's porn, it's substance abuse, it's white-collar crime. Darkness is religious persecution and religious hypocrisy. That's darkness. And in it we experience oppression and evil, and that's this world, and that's how Jesus came. And brought light. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says, we were people having no hope and without God in the world. We didn't know who God was. We didn't know why we were here or what life was all about. And then Jesus came into the world that he might bring us to God. He might bring us hope that we might not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. And so verse 16 in our chapter says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So how did Jesus bring light? So the first way that he brought light to the world was through his preaching. Verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this was part of his work, to call lost people to repentance. He came to open our eyes to sin. He came to help us understand that we needed to repent of our sins if we were going to enjoy fellowship with God. Repentance means more than we're just feeling sorry for our sin. Nate spoke on this recently. Repentance is, isn't really that complicated. It's a change. It's a complete change. The idea is to change your mind and go in a different direction. And so that leads to a change in actions. It's a whole life change. Why did Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Was it God's plan to have Jesus set up the earthly kingdom for Israel? And my answer is, well... Yes and no. This is where it gets confusing to me. You know, if you watch a sporting event, especially basketball, 
Uh, when a team's overwhelmed by their opponent, you'll notice that the coach of the team calls a timeout. And the coach will get out his, his or her clipboard, and they'll gather the team around, and they'll talk about what's the plan here to get things back under control. And so I'm calling a timeout right here, Matthew chapter 4. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to do a quick review of the Bible storyline because the things Matthew's saying right now are a little overwhelming to me. Why is he saying that? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so I'm just kind of walk through a couple of uh, points here. The Bible storyline started with God. In eternity, God always existed. And so Psalm 90, verse 2 tells us, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then we learn that he's the creator. Genesis 1.1 teaches us, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And later in that chapter, it says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So God made Adam and Eve in his image, living in a garden, paradise, enjoying the presence of God, lived in perfect relationship with God and each other. Life was innocent. Life, life was great. And then humans sinned. And we refer to this as the fall. And Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sums up the fall this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so we had this broken relationship with God, and death entered the world. But God had a plan to redeem us. And so we see in the Old Testament how God worked through Israel and with Israel, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Israel's story unfolded over centuries, but we see people failing time after time. And we see God in his grace pointing forward to a Messiah who would come and restore all things. And many of these prophecies we've already gone through in our study of Matthew. God promised that the Messiah would reign over the earth. Here's a specific example of that. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. That's quite a promise, the kingdom. But then we also saw a different picture. God told us through the prophets that the Messiah would suffer, be rejected. He would save us from our sins. And one of the verses we point to for this is Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so, 
From these promises, we know that salvation was coming to Israel and the world through the Messiah. We also know that one day the Messiah and King will restore all things and reign over the earth. The confusing part is that God didn't reveal this all at once, and he also didn't really reveal the chronological order so that it was clearly understood exactly how all of this was going to happen. The Bible teaches us that God spoke in many times, in many ways. Some things were a mystery because they weren't revealed at a given point in time, or some things are a mystery because our minds are finite and they're beyond our comprehension. There are things I, don't, I simply don't understand. So back to my original question, why I called this time out. Was it God's plan to have Jesus set up an earthly kingdom in Israel? And again, and my answer is, well, yes and no. So look at this statement by Paul, the apostle. Romans chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. That's the important point that I have to take home. God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. So let's go back to our storyline for a second. That little, you are here. This is really important for us as we study Matthew creation, and we see the fall, and we see the promises of gospel and salvation and restoration, and you are here in Matthew chapter 4. The church is not, is not in existence yet. These other things are in the future, and so this is important for us when we hear Jesus say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that God is fulfilling his promise. He is offering the Messiah. And so this is a very important perspective for us to get, to understand the kingdom of heaven, the time that Jesus is beginning his work. And what is this perspective? The first one is that God is true to his promises, and he sent Jesus, Messiah and King. And Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what we'll see as we study Matthew is that Israel rejected Jesus as Messiah and king at that time, and his earthly kingdom is still in the future. It's hard for us to get our minds around. The Bible itself says that this is a mystery. This is, this is something that will be hard for us to understand. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Was it God's plan to set up an earthly kingdom for Israel? Yes, but not yet. You are here. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus taught and demonstrated then, and we're going to start studying this next week, what his kingdom values are, what his kingdom requires. There have been times when Christians have looked at this section of Matthew as only for Israel. 
But we realize it's showing us the character of who Jesus is. It's showing us that his followers should aspire. We should realize what's important to him, our king. And so this is an important learning for us. But the last really key piece in our perspective is that God's plan of salvation all along for the world was through the death, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That was his plan all along. And that's what we're seeing unfold in Matthew. So as we study Matthew's gospel, we see the faithfulness of God in providing King Jesus. We see him calling Israel into the kingdom of heaven. But his plan all along, the light and hope for the world, was through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul the Apostle is one of the most important figures in Christianity. In the book of Acts, he describes how he was raised as a Jew. He was raised in the strict manner of the Jewish law. He was zealous for Israel. And then he met Jesus. And he found Jesus to be the light of the world. And from that point on, his life changed, his mission changed. Acts chapter 26, just some really verses for us to think about here. Verse 15, this again is Paul the Apostle. And the Lord said, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And then he also preached repentance, as Jesus was doing here in Matthew 4, verse 20, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And Paul affirmed Jesus as the light of the world for Jews and Gentiles. Verse 22, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Matthew emphasizes the point that Jesus is the light of the world, even as, even at the beginning of his work, he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the light of the world. Why is this important? Rather than get confused, I see Jesus teaching about his kingdom as part of God's greater plan. I see it as God keeping his promises, sending Jesus as the king, even though at that time they end up rejecting him. I don't lose confidence in the word of God. I don't lose confidence in the promises of God. I see a greater plan. Sometimes it seems mysterious to me, but it's his plan, and I see it. And as the king begins his work on earth, we learn more about him. Later on in, in John's gospel, chapter 14, Jesus says this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So we study Jesus. We see more clearly who God is. We learn what his values are. Even as God's plans are unfolding, I see how God works in different ways at different times, and I trust him. Jesus' work was just beginning. The goal was always that you and I might be saved. 
That was always the goal. It's not about us earning it through our performance. There's only one gospel. There's only one salvation. It's by grace, through faith, Jesus Christ. Okay, the timeout's over. I understand it a little better when I get the right context, and then we can kind of proceed through and take from Matthew what God intends for us to learn. Jesus brought light to the world through his preaching, and he calls for repentance. But he also brought light to the world through his teaching as well. So verse 23 in Matthew 4 says, And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus taught God's word in the synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the gospel, the promises of God. He taught with authority. He went from place to place teaching. He wants us to learn and understand. This time out I went through, this is, this is the type of thing we should do, understand. He wants us to understand his word and what he intends for us. I'm really encouraged by this. This is part of the way Jesus brought light by teaching. And then he also brought light to the world by healing. He healed people, verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus was going about doing good, healing, another proof he was the Messiah. Another sign to the world. This is the kingdom of God. And so, in this first point, the king's work began by demonstrating that he's the light of the world. Paul stated it in Acts. He did this through preaching, teaching, healing. And our lives will be impacted in the following ways if we accept Jesus. This is, again, pointing back to Acts 26. We'll turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. We'll receive forgiveness of sins, become part of the family of faith. We'll perform deeds that demonstrate that we've turned to God. And so let me just ask you, have you reached a point in your life? Does this look familiar to you where you've reached a point where you've repented of sin and turned to God? It's more than sorrow, as I've mentioned. It's, it's an inward change in our minds, in our hearts, toward God and accepting his grace we receive forgiveness, we become part of the family of faith. And so if we haven't done that, today we can do it. Jesus is still calling people to this life-changing relationship with him. That's what it's about. That's what his work is about. All right, so I have one personal application here, which is, what is a behavior that I'm allowing in my life that is dishonoring to God? And what might I need to change in my life that shows that I have repented and put my trust in God? This is real. This is what he calls us to. So he's the light of the world. And then the second point is that Jesus calls us to follow him. So tucked into this passage, kind of in the middle, 
And the beginning of the king's work is his call for disciples to follow him. So let's read that section. It starts in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. When you read this, it almost seems like a chance encounter. While walking by the sea, Jesus saw these men, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And you almost get the impression like he'd never met them before. But remember that gap we talked about at the beginning? We have some evidence there in John's Gospel, chapter 1, that they had met before. And this is the verse that, that, that we would look to. It says, One of the two who'd heard John speak, would be John the Baptist, and followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So here's one simple fact. From the beginning of the work of Jesus, it was all about people. He came to save people. He came to offer forgiveness to people. He taught people. He healed people. And here, he calls people to follow him. And we call this discipleship. Two things that happen through discipleship. The first is that following Jesus changes us. It starts with belief. They heard John preach about Jesus, and they believed he was the Savior. We found the Messiah. I love how Luke describes the impact that Jesus had on Peter over in Luke chapter 5. In that account, they'd fish. They were fishermen still. They fished all night, caught nothing. And then in a show of Jesus' power and authority, he tells them where to cast their nets, and they catch so many fish, their boats start sinking. And in verse 8 it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. They saw who Jesus was, and it completely humbled them. They were in awe of him. And as they followed Jesus, he changed their lives. He became their Lord. We're going to see this as we go through Matthew. As they spent time with them, he taught them. He showed them a different way to live. That's what this is about. So this is why you'll hear us say to be a Christian, it's, it's not about just saying a prayer or signing a decision card and then forgetting about it and going on as if nothing changed. That's not what it means to accept Christ. You know, each week we ask anyone who's made a decision if they might reach out to us through our, our uh, website or through our email address, respond at lbchapel.org. That's not an attempt to count 
people or to um, take credit. What it is is we want to help you. If you make that decision, if you trust in him, it's not an ending, it's a beginning. And we want to encourage you in that walk. So new life may start with a prayer, but it doesn't start and end there. Becoming a Christian is about following Jesus. It's about passing from death to life. And then it's about life change. By his forgiveness, by his grace, working in our lives, we change. So that's the first part. We change. And then the second part is followers of Jesus disciple other people. Second thing that happened when we follow Jesus He gives us a purpose for our life. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Followers of Jesus disciple other people. That's why the mission of our church is helping people find and follow Jesus. That's the mission he gave us. He didn't just give this mission to preachers. This discipleship happens in homes and coffee shops. Workplaces, basketball courts, car rides. Discipleship can happen where we live, where we work, where we play every day. I agree with David Platt. He wrote this. So biblically, if we're not making disciples, then we have missed what it means to be a disciple in the first place. So the example on this passage is they left their day jobs behind. Andrew and Peter left their nets. James and John left not only their boat, but their father. And they followed Jesus. They laid everything down for the king. So that might raise a question to us. To be a Christian, do you have to quit your job? Do you have to leave your family? I didn't think I had background music yet. (laughs) It does add a little suspense, though, Jim. I do not believe this passage teaches us that to follow Jesus we have to quit our jobs or leave our family. But it's making the point, think about Peter there for a minute, falling on his knees at Jesus' feet. When you see who Jesus is, and when you hear him call you, there's nothing more important in the world than following him. Paul the Apostle wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Some of us can make disciples while doing our jobs, and yet others do sacrifice and leave their jobs, and they serve in ministry, and they make disciples that way. We know people who've left family and home and country to make disciples. God can use us in different ways. I believe sometimes you might stay in a job you'd really rather leave because God has a purpose for you there. Or rather than call you to leave your family to serve him, he may ask you to serve him by caring for your family. Bob Johnston was our pastor here at Lakeside for many years. I had the privilege to serve with Bob on the elder board here. And his wife, Sharon, has been failing in health for the last couple of years. And the last time I talked to Bob on the phone, he said, 
Caring for Sharon is my ministry now. That's what I do. And he's honoring God in doing that. After all, Jesus calls husbands to love their wives. Our discipleship might look different in various seasons of our life, but it should always reflect that we're serving King Jesus, whatever he calls us to do. I have a lifelong friend. His name's Lloyd Reeb. He helped start a discipleship ministry. It's called the Halftime Institute. And he said something recently really made me think. That's what he said. When you leave corporate America, there is no wake. What he's saying is that you can put all your efforts into this world. You can spend all your time working hard to earn money, get that next promotion, that next job, that better job. And then when you leave, maybe you get burned out and quit, or maybe you stay there 40 years and you retire, and when you're done, there's not even a ripple in the water. For the most part, nobody cares. No wake. Somebody else sits in your chair. Somebody else takes your position. Company moves on. The disciples saw that Jesus could change their lives. He could give them something meaningful to live for. And they left all and they followed him. Jesus' work was about people following him. And as he transformed their lives, they impacted other people as well. As disciples of Jesus, we find something more precious, of more worth than anything the sorry world can provide us. Jesus is calling us to a life that has more meaning, more purpose. But it requires making a choice. Follow or not. This passage challenges us with the question of whether we are ready or have followed Jesus. Even if you don't want to choose, you end up choosing. Because we must intentionally follow him. Or by default, we are not following him. So my last application is... What's the next intentional step that you need to take to follow Jesus? And I can't answer that question for you. God can lead you to the right opportunity. What is the next thing he has for you? I do have a suggestion in keeping with our announcements this morning. We announced Lakeside's offering an opportunity to be part of a discipleship group. So no matter where you are in your journey following Jesus, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. And you can learn more about these groups on the chapel's website. Just look for the discipleship page. There's that uh, section circled in red on where to sign up. Or if you go to the Church Center app that we have on your phone or out in the lobby there on the hub, you can click on that sign up button. And if you want to know more, there's information there. Discover discipleship. That's one way to take a next step in following Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. He calls us to follow him. Following Jesus changes us. Following 
uh, followers of Jesus, disciple other people. This is what we learn as the king's work begins. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you again for sending Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Pray for any here who do not yet have this relationship with you, who haven't repented of their sins, who haven't turned to you for forgiveness. We pray even this day that they will do so. Lord, for those of us who have followed you, and maybe we've gotten off track, maybe we've gotten our eyes off of you, we pray today that you would help us. Help us take that next step. We know that you desire the best for us, Lord. We pray that you will help us as a church to reach out as a light into this world. We ask for your help in doing these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.